Mark chapter number 2, if you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, second book in the Bible, in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, chapter number 2. Thank you, Caesar. Do you love our praise and worship team at all? Can we give them a hand? They do such a good job. So Jesus was going about doing what Jesus does. Healing the sick, setting the captive free, touching the afflicted, healing the broken hearts, mending uh, uh, broken places in people's lives. And in Mark, uh, the, the first chapter, it ends with him uh, healing a leper, uh, somebody who had leprosy, which at the time was a terrible uh, disease. It's still a terrible disease, but at the time it wasn't just a bad disease. People uh, didn't just not want to get it. They didn't want to be anybody around somebody. They didn't want to be anywhere around somebody that had leprosy because they believed they were unclean biblically. So from that standpoint, leprosy was about as low as you could go on the totem pole at the time. And the end of Mark chapter number 1, uh, the Bible said that Jesus healed a leper and he told him, he said, listen, he said, uh, don't uh, go tell anybody. So, of course, the guy went and told everybody that he could because how in the world could you keep that much of a, that kind of a secret? Uh, but he healed him and, and the Bible says that news began to spread of Jesus being the healer of the sick and the deliverer of the captive. Uh, uh, and so, beginning in chapter number 2, we find Jesus in a place called Capernaum. So the scripture says, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he was in the house, which means the news spread uh, that he was in a certain home. And straightway, many were gathered together, meaning immediately a bunch of people started showing up, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much at the door, and he preached the word unto them. Uh, meaning Jesus got into a house, and everybody wanted to get to that house, and it filled up so much that nobody could get into the door, there was no room around the door, uh, everything was there. Uh, but what's interesting is, is Jesus uh, was gathering a crowd, not because he was the best dressed, and not because he had uh, everything uh, you know, figured out as far as fashion and things like that. He was gathering a crowd because he was doing miracles and signs and wonders were following him everywhere that he went. So you had several different types of people that were following Jesus. One would be a simple spectator that would hear that Jesus would do a miracle. So they wanted to come and see a miracle. And I'll be honest with you, I've been to church services and that was pretty much my intention of going. I heard something uh, powerful was happening, so I wanted to go see if it would really happen. And then there was other people who were sick in their body or sick in their mind or knew somebody that was sick. And they would bring themselves or, the, or, or a loved one to Jesus, believing God that he would heal them. So people were following Jesus for different reasons. Other people would follow Jesus just to ridicule. Jesus. I always wonder what in the world are the Pharisees doing there just to talk bad about him. Well, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. You still have people that come to church, and it seems like their only reason they want to come to church is to ridicule those who believe in the supernatural or the power of God. But we find Jesus here, and it's not that he was uh, uh, an unbelievable uh, 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 person who wore the right clothes, or otherwise, they showed up because miracles signs and wonders were following him. Matter of fact, we knew Jesus was Jesus, in fact, because of the signs and wonders. John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, uh, if you remember, he was baptizing everybody before Jesus. He was preparing the way of the Lord. The Scripture says that he's the greatest prophet that there ever has been, and that he was preparing the way of the Lord, and he was baptizing people uh, for the repentance of sin before Jesus came, and he got arrested. And before Jesus came on the scene, and he got arrested. So John 
sent his disciples to where Jesus was and said, uh, I need you guys to go and find out if Jesus, if this is Jesus, the Son of God, if that's really my cousin, or if we need to wait for somebody else. So uh, the disciples, the two disciples that John sent, came to Jesus, and they said, uh, John, our master, came and asked us to find you and find out if, if we should, if you're the one or if we need to wait for somebody else. And Jesus didn't tell him, yeah, I'm Jesus, I'm the one. He said, you go tell John that the dead are raised, the blind see, the deaf hear, and miracles, signs, and wonders are taking place. And the, the, the disciples of John went back to John, and he knew who the Christ was because miracles, signs, and wonders were taking place. Here's what's going to happen very soon at New Heights Church. Miracles, signs, and wonders are going to break out in this body of believers like we read about in the book of Acts, like we read about in the Corinthians, like we read about all through our New Testament. And the reason is, is not because uh, uh, you and I necessarily are, are more special than anybody else. We just have the audacity to believe the Word of God, at the Word of God, and believe that it's true today just like it was then. God is looking for a body of believers that will believe Him and not doubt. He's looking for a body of believers who will have faith in the face of adversity and determine and set their mind that they will not be moved by what they see, but they will, in fact, move what they see by speaking faith in every situation that pops up. So John finds out that Jesus is, in fact, Jesus because of miracles, signs, and wonders. So the Bible continues to teach that Jesus was in the house and he was teaching the word of God and people were there and everything was going well. And there came one, verse 3, bringing one sick of the palsy, which is to say he was paralyzed. They brought somebody paralyzed and four people were carrying him. Number one, the devil wants to do one thing and one thing only to you. He wants you paralyzed. He does not want you moving in your faith. He does not want you operating in your faith. He does not want you talking about your faith. He does not want you speaking about your faith. He does not want you believing God in the face of adversity. He does not want you talking about your faith with your co-worker when you're at lunch at Starbucks having a little muffin and a piece of coffee and they got all kind of problems talking in their life and they got this problem, that problem and every other problem. They do not. The devil does not want you speaking up and saying the God who I serve can and will move on your behalf. Because if the devil can get you paralyzed, if the devil can keep you still and stagnant in that moment, then that person will not get set free and that person will have to wait on some other Christian to come by with the good news of the gospel. But I want you to know you're not just a normal Christian. You're a blood-bought, redeemed Christian that speaks faith, walks faith, lives faith, and experiences the results of a life filled with faith. Somebody say amen. Your life is not your own. You have been purchased by the greatest of prices. The blood of Christ Jesus has paid for you. Therefore, the scripture says, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So it is our responsibility and our opportunity that we will go and deliver those who need deliverance. But throughout the whole situation, the critical factor and the critical thing is, is that we have to recognize that this world, more than it needs anything else, is the good news of who Christ Jesus really is. So for you and for me, we refuse to live a paralyzed life. Verse 4, and the four people who were there, when they could not come into the house, when they could not come nigh him for the press of people, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy laid. 
They let down the bed of the paralytic man down in front of Jesus. They literally tore the roof off the house so that they could let their friend down. God is looking for some roof terror offers. God is looking for somebody who will not let shingles get in the way of a miracle. God is looking for somebody who will take what is in front of them and move it out of the way, not by their own power, not by their own might, but by His power, says the Lord. God is looking for somebody who refuses to let doubt and unbelief have the final say-so in your life. God is looking for somebody who will believe Him in the face of adversity. Can you imagine those four people standing up on that roof faced with a choice that said, Our friend we know, if we can get Him at the feet of Jesus, He will be made whole. But if we cannot, we will take Him home sick as He was. We will take Him home the exact same way. So what happens is, is they sit and they look at their circumstances and they make the conscious effort to make room for faith. Everybody in this building has to make room for faith. Some of you, you don't have doubt and unbelief, but you've got too much sitcom and soap opera in your life to have any time for faith. You've got too much doubt and unbelief in your life that every time you have a thought, doubt and unbelief just squelches that little seed of faith and chokes it out and it doesn't have a chance to grow and germinate and go to that next level. But I'm here to declare that just the same way that those four men tore that roof off in the name of Jesus Christ, everybody here is going to make room for faith before you leave. God is here to change your life and change your circumstance and change your situation, but somebody's got to tear the roof off in order to get their friend to Jesus. What would you do if you knew Jesus is right on the other side? Here's the situation. They knew they had to make room for faith, and they refused to let doubt and unbelief stand in the way. They refused to let a roof stand in the way, and they said, I'm going to tear this roof off, but I'm going to get my friend to Jesus. Isn't it interesting in the body of Christ, you are either pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling, or you are drifting away. It's like being in a river. You're on one side, God is on the other, and you go to jump into the river. If you do not swim to the other side, you don't have to do anything. You can just float and you will drift aimlessly down the river. Those men had a choice whether or not to tear that roof off. And if they had chosen not to, they would have carried their crippled friend back home just as crippled as he ever was. But you and I have to make a decision to make room for our faith. How do I make room for faith? Very simple. Turn your car into a Bible school. Decide that what comes in your ears is going to be pleasing to the Lord. And if it's not pleasing to the Lord, then it's not coming in. Decide that you are going to speak faith in the face of adversity and not let the things of this world drown you in doubt and unbelief. I know I say doubt and unbelief a lot because it's so important because it's exactly the opposite of faith. Faith, the Bible says, is believing in something that you cannot see. Therefore, when doubt begins to creep into your mind, it starts like this. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this has happened to me. Say you wake up one morning and your throat uh, is not doing well. I have had the thought that whenever I have started to get a sore throat, 
that it might be something more than a cold. Matter of fact, it's not uncommon for me to have a thought that comes in my mind that says it's something serious. If I wake up with a pain in my leg, it's like, oh, arthritis must be taken over. If I wake up and my throat hurts, all of a sudden I start hearing these crazy words like cancer or something like that in my mind. And that is the beginning, that is a seed, that is a fiery dart sent by the devil that is trying to determine whether or not you're going to speak faith or you're going to allow doubt and unbelief to take over and manifest in your life. Here's how you deal with it. The minute that you sense something that is contrary to the Word of God, the Bible says that you cast down vain imaginations. 2015 English would say it like this, violently arrest every thought that is contrary to the Word of God. That means whenever I think something along the lines of I don't know how I'm going to make it, I refuse to let that be the last thought in my mind and I say I know exactly how I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it because He supplies my needs according to His riches and glory. There's something about God that gets stirred up when He starts to uh, sense faith. There's something about God that gets stirred up when He recognizes faith. They tear the roof off and let their friend down. Verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith... Everybody say faith. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of palsy, the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6 says, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves. And he said unto them, Why reason you uh, these things in your hearts? Have you ever been thinking something and God answer your thought? Have you ever been thinking something and God speak to you in the middle of that thought? That's because what's on the inside of your mind and what's on the inside of your heart, your inner man, so says the Scripture, inside your inner man, what takes place, or inner woman, I guess. I want to make sure we're politically correct, 2015. But in your inner man or your inner, mom, or your inner woman, you begin to have a thought. And the thing is, your thought is directly connected to the spiritual world. If you want an example of that, you just had it. You get two opportunities. Whenever your thoughts are contrary to the Word of God, you are literally repelling the supernatural from your life. But if your thoughts, whose mind is stayed on God, when your thoughts are anticipating a move of God and anticipating the power of God, it's in that moment that you begin to attract the supernatural in your life. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had it for 12 years. The Bible said she spent all of her money uh, on doctors who could not heal her. And she was so sick and she felt terrible about everything. But she heard that Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, would heal people. So she said within herself, if I can just touch his coat, if I can touch the hem of his garment, then and only then will I be made whole. Well, there was a lot of people between her and Christ. So she began to press through the people. And as she got closer, she began to reach out knowing inside of herself that if she could just touch the hem of his garment that she would be made whole. So she finally gets to Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment and the Bible says dunamis or dynamite power shot out of Jesus and the healing virtue of God shot through her body and immediately she was healed of an infirmity that she had carried around for 12 years. Jesus is stopped in his tracks and he says, Who touched me? 
I can picture Peter. You remember Peter. He's the one who carried a sword and tried to cut a guy's head off, missed and hit his ear when they were trying to arrest Jesus. He might have thought that, that, that Jesus was worried that somebody was trying to grab him. So he might have gotten mad and said, what are you talking about who touched the Lord? We'll get him. And then he looks around and he goes, Jesus, there's so many people here. How can you ask who touched you? Everybody touched you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Power has gone out of me. Now, Jesus knew who touched him because Jesus knows everything. But a lot of times he'll ask a question to see if you know that he knows. So he said, who touched me? And he begins to look around. And the young lady, uh, the lady looks around and she realizes that her, what she's done can't be hid. And she finally says, I touched me. And he says, your faith has made you whole. But when she touched the hem of his garment, she didn't scream with a loud voice. If I can touch him, I'll be healed. But she was believing in herself. You see, what's on the inside of you is connecting to God. That's why it's not just important how you talk. It's important how you think. You've got to cast down those vain imaginations because you are either attracting the miraculous in your life or you are acting like miracle repellent by doubting and unbelieving what the Bible says. What you're thinking and what you're saying is either attracting the power of God or it is repelling the power of God. The scribes were sitting there and they were putting the power of God at bay, but four men kicked holes in a roof and attracted the power of God into that place. Verse number 9. Whether Jesus knew this, of course. And He said, Is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, Take up your bed and walk? But they, that so that you can know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, He says to the sick of palsy, He says to the paralyzed man, I say unto you, arise and take up your bed and go your way into your house. And immediately He arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Did you catch it? That text just gave you enough faith to grab the Rocky Mountain Range, pull it up by the root and throw it in the Gulf of Mexico. But we'll come back to it. Let me ask it like this. Do you remember how you felt when you really understood that you were forgiven? I don't mean kind of, and I'm not talking about religion. Do you remember how you felt when you realized God had really forgiven you? That the God who flung the stars in the sky with all power in his fingertips, instead of condemning you, forgave you. Do you remember that moment? When the anointing of forgiveness covered you like warm oil and you knew you were in right standing with God. As long as I can remember, I've been a Christian. Because my parents raised me in the way that I should go and when I got older, I didn't depart from it. But I remember my late teens... Right about when I started to turn 20. I was as far from the will of God 
as I'd ever been. I was as far from the will of God for my life as I'd ever gotten. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was drawing me back. I, I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's a friend that'll tell you, okay, that, that's not what you should have done and give you the opportunity to make a shift in your life. But I was convicted. I went to a church service and I knew God was calling me back. Like the prodigal son. He was inviting me home free of charge. Ready to wrap me in his coat, put a ring on my finger and shoes on my feet. And I remember praying. I didn't say, Oh God, thou art most holy. I remember praying something like this. God, I am so sorry. I want to live for you. And I remember the feeling of forgiveness coming over, not my body, my whole being. And I knew that I knew that I knew that my Father had forgiven me when he didn't have to my father had forgiven me again when God found you you were already on death row you already had a debt to pay and though you were guilty You are fully acquitted of every crime. Do you remember how you felt when you knew you were forgiven? If you've never felt that, we're going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. But Jesus said, Is it easier to forgive sin? Or to heal the sick. And if we got real knee jerky on it, we go, well, maybe it's easier to heal the sick. Maybe it's easier to forgive sin. But if we really look at it in context, when he said, I forgive you, he says, I am removing you from the clutches of death, hell, and the grave. A lifestyle, a lifetime of eternity away from the Father in heaven, clutched into a sea of unbelievable pain where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am taking you to another place. I am taking you from that life of pain, that eternity of misery, and I'm putting you in right standing with my Father where there are no tears, where they've all been wiped away, where forever and ever you will dwell with Him and you are seated with Him in heavenly places and your entire eternity will be unbelievably, imaginably good. The greatest miracle that you will ever personally experience is the forgiveness of of your sins.
There is nothing greater that God has ever done for you or ever will do for you than to remove your name from the place of the convicted and put your name into the Lamb's book of life. It is the greatest of miracles. So surely, and I mean surely, if the God of heaven and earth is willing to do something that grand for you, certainly He will heal your physical body. If He's willing to take your eternal soul, your eternal spirit, and place it in right standing, purchased with the price of His Son's spotless blood, surely He will supply your needs according to His riches in glory. If He will forgive your sin and wipe your slate clean, surely He will restore your marriage. Surely He will bring you a job that has been prepared for you. Surely He will give you peace in the midnight hour. Surely He will give you joy unspeakable. Surely He will touch you in the midnight hour and declare that He loves you and He cares for you. He has not forgotten you. If He's willing to do this grand thing, then surely something as small as making sure that there's peace in your home now. Surely. Surely He'll do this. Jesus said, what's greater? To pluck a man from eternal damnation and put him in right standing with my Father or to just heal somebody. Healing is the children's bread. Healing has been purchased for you and for me. And if God can save our soul, then certainly He's willing to bless us now. Stand to your feet, please.